You're listening to Tarot Talk, and I'm your host, Holly Ramey. I'm going to serve you some practical magic and give you tips and tools to bring the mystical into your everyday life. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode number 12 of Tarot Talk. I'm your host, Holly Ramey, and today I am switching it up a little bit. And in lieu of answering a listener question, I am instead sitting down with my friend and colleague, Jean Marie Derrick. And she is a licensed Ayurvedic practitioner and herbalist, as well as an Iyengar yoga teacher. Welcome, Jean Marie. Thank you, Holly, for having me here. Absolutely. So let's just get started and tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got started doing what you do. An Iyengar teacher. Okay. Well, what happened was years and years ago, I used to work at uh, YWCA in Manhattan, actually running a, a weight room. And this woman came in, she was an Indian woman, she's coming from India and she wanted to learn how to lift weights. And she had been involved in Iyengar yoga in India and said, hey, you know, I'll trade you a yoga session for a weight class. And I, being the macho athlete that I was, I just thought, I'm not interested in yoga at all. This is 35 years ago. Yoga was not on the scene, right? And I just watched her doing this stuff. And I was also a gymnastics coach. And I thought, hmm, I can do those things, you know. All right, I'll do that trade with you. And she started leading me through to some of the standing poses. And I couldn't balance. I didn't know how to use my feet, even though I could get up on a balance beam and flip and stuff. I actually didn't know how to stabilize myself. And I, it just completely blew me out of my regular <laughs> sense of myself. And she handed me the book that Mr. Iyengar wrote, which is kind of the encyclopedia of yoga called Light on Yoga. And from that point on, I've been a devotee, I guess you could say, of Iyengar yoga, of yoga in general. But I'm really an Iyengar yoga fan because of the way it's got its technical, kind of precise side. You know, the discipline is so technical. And... Anyway, I went away for a few years. I moved to the Caribbean. And when I came back to Manhattan, there was a yoga school in every corner. And everybody and their mother was a yoga teacher. And I, and I had previously studied Ayurveda. And I thought, you know, it wouldn't hurt for me to expand a little bit. And so I went to school for Ayurveda. I spent four years at the California College of Ayurveda and got certified as a clinical Ayurvedic specialist. And um, with the Ayurveda, and in combination with herbs and yoga, it's a very complete course. I mean, in a sense, it's kind of like you look at a bird that has only one wing when you study just the yoga. If you put everything together, it's it gives you the full rounded picture of how to keep your health. Okay, let's dial it back just a little bit 
And for those out there listening who have no um, background in these principles, can you tell us a little bit about Iyengar yoga and how it differs from other styles of yoga, Um, who BKS Iyengar is, and what Ayurveda is? Okay, let's start with the Iyengar. So Iyengar yoga is, if you know anything about yoga and you've practiced and used yoga mat, a yoga block, a yoga belt, a blanket, even the chairs or any of those kind of props that all stems from Mr. Iyengar's experience of how to practice yoga. Also, if you've ever been clued in yoga, for instance, let's say you're in downward facing dog pose and somebody says, move your thighs back, extend your spine by moving your thighs back. All of those, those calls are Iyengar yoga. The other thing that Mr. Iyengar was really a master of is the therapeutic aspect of yoga. Mm. So he used to, when he was alive, he used to um, run these therapeutic classes, which are still going on in India at the um, the uh, Institute. And he would take people of all kinds of people and work with them therapeutically whether it's from people who have back injuries or it's people who have cancer or heart problems or even psychological problems. Okay. Yeah. And it's my understanding that Iyengar yoga is one of the most intense forms in that to become a certified Iyengar teacher, the training is much longer and more detailed than, yeah. say, just getting a 200-hour certification. Yeah. No, you, it's like going to college. Yeah. Yeah, it's, okay. there's no joke about it. Yeah, it takes years. How long does it take to become an Iyengar teacher? I think at this point, just to get the, the first level, which isn't even uh, necessarily considered a full certification, it's a couple years. You have to prove that you've been taking classes you have to be studying under a senior teacher who supports you on that. So probably thousands of hours. <laughs> thousands um, probably, yeah. As compared to a 200 hour, which is what most teachers have. And that is, you know, done over the course of maybe a month mm-hmm. to six months. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's no joke. Yeah. So it's kind of like the PhD big daddy of yoga teacher. You know, I never thought of it, but that's probably a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then tell us a little bit about Ayurveda. Now you said you studied Ayurveda first and then Iyengar yoga or kind of at the same time? Yeah, at the same time. So I started studying years ago with a teacher named Dr. Svoboda and he started the school in New Mexico with Dr. Ladd. And, um, I would take workshops with him. You know, we do weekend workshops at different places, and I would always study. You know, for years, I studied with him, and I found it um, just so interesting, the whole Ayurveda thing. It's, it's so ancient. It goes back. It's the oldest form of medicine that has continually being practiced the oldest form of medicine that has continuously been practiced on the planet um 
it goes back some 10,000 years. So it's really prehistoric. The only thing I would say that's older is shamanic Mm. practices. Um, But in a sense, it kind of comes from that. Mm -hmm. So there's this part of the Ayurvedic aspect where the sages were almost like shamanic uh, teachers. And they discovered uh, Iyengar. They discovered Ayurveda, right? They discovered it by meditation and by watching nature and by watching the planet and the stars and how everything interacts. Mm-hmm. And so it's a system that's based on nature. Okay. And it has uh, at its base the five element theory. So starting with ether. And then as ether starts to become, or space, become conscious of itself, that consciousness becomes air because it starts a friction and it becomes denser. Thought itself is denser than nothing. Mm. Right? We come from nothing. And then as air starts to circulate, it becomes wind and that creates more friction and from that comes fire. Mm-hmm. And as fire becomes denser, it comes, it starts to condense and becomes water. As water becomes more condensed, it becomes earth. Mm. And that's how matter is created. So we're all those elements to different degrees. And then as we are in existence of, in this world, anything you touch has earth has all of those elements, but as it starts to deteriorate, right, as we live a long life and we go all the way to the end of the life where the body becomes frail, it starts to go back to ether. Mm, So it's the cycle Mm -hmm. of life, Mm -hmm. death, and rebirth. Yes. Beautiful. So the Ayurvedic practice... And it's funny that you say it's been around forever, because um, even some of the Western herbalists that I follow, when I look back at their study, I realize that they studied with Vasant Ladd, who mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier, who is known as one of the um, main teachers to bring Ayurveda study into the West. Um, but tell me a little bit about how you started studying Ayurveda, which you already got into, and then um, how you integrate that with the yoga practice. I've heard Ayurveda explained as the sister science of yoga. Um, so tell me a little bit about that connection. Well, like I said before, I the way I feel about it at this point is that a really full, healthy um, practice involves both the physical practice that we get from yoga and also the mental practice that you get from yoga, right? But you also have to have a lifestyle understanding and, a, and an understanding of how the seasons affect us and how our environment and even relationships and, of course, food. And that's what Ayurveda does for us. It gives us those basic 
foundations of how to be your own personal healer. Mm. And yes, the yoga practice can do that to a certain degree, but I know a lot of yoga practitioners that are kind of failing at full health. Mm. And that's what the originally what the sages were doing. They brought in all of this to support the yogi to reach enlightenment. Mm. So in the Ayurvedic practice, you mentioned the elements and you mentioned the seasons. And from what I understand, uh, they call these elements uh, or they break them down into types called the doshas. So we as people have a dosha or a combination of elements that are strong and some are weak. And then the seasons are based around that as well. Mm. So tell me a little bit about when you're looking at a person, how you diagnose, what is the approach that you take in Ayurveda? And um, also the one thing that I've noticed is that, like you said, there's this focus around lifestyle. So unlike Western medicine, where we go to the doctor when we're sick, and we are given medication to help with the symptoms, Ayurveda looks, takes a look at the, the lifestyle in a holistic way, the foods we're eating, what time we're waking up, what time we're going to bed. Can you talk a little bit about that? So it, yeah, at the lifestyle is really the first thing that we look at, lifestyle and digestion. Mm. So if you're... It's called Agni. If your digestive fires are weak, the food that you're taking into your body, which is your first medicine, right? Food is your first medicine. Mm. Um, it's not going to be assimilated. It's not going to be digested. It's not going to be eliminated, etc. So your whole digestive system is actually giving you your first stage of medicine. But with that as well, is the fact that you're sleeping well and that you're um, dealing with relationships that you could say that a relationship is also medicine. Is it feeding you or is it taking away from you? Is it making it so that you are an unhappy person or is it giving you a sense of um, wanting to be in this world and participate and having pleasure and having passion and being able to fulfill your own needs and desires. Um, so when that's so interesting because I've never been to the doctor and had them ask me anything about the food that I eat or <laughs> the relationships that I'm in, um, unless it is a mental health practitioner. The other thing that I noticed is that, um, there have been so many studies about gut health and how it's linked to mental health. So that's also a really interesting connection that Ayurveda brings that all together. So when you, when someone comes to see you, how do you determine this stuff? Like what is the process? So if I'm coming in, where do we start? We start with, a, with a questionnaire. Okay. Yeah. So, um, if you're dealing with an Ayurvedic practitioner like myself, 
that questionnaire takes about two hours to get through. Wow. Yeah. And it's not only the questionnaire, but we end up looking at your tongue, looking at your eyes, looking at your, taking your pulse, looking at your skin, looking at the whole form of your body. And we determine something called a prakruti, which is your first creation or your first constitution, which you acquired at the moment of conception. And it has to do with your parents' genetics. It has to do with their relationship. It has to do with the food that they had eaten that day. It, had, it has also to do with the climate and the season. But it also has to do with the energy of your soul coming in at that moment. You could say that every time there's a conception, there's another Big Bang Wow. little bang. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the prakruti. That's the imprint. It's a blueprint of that person or that particular being. A bang is a result of a bang. Exactly. Oh my God. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. There we go. I couldn't resist. I, 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 yeah. Thanks, Holly. <laughs> okay. So then after that point though, we have the influence of that prakruti, that being's prakruti, being influenced by the mother, mm-hmm. right? So if your prakruti, if your, uh, that creation's prakruti is, doesn't match the mother's prakruti, then you already have an imbalance going on there. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Or if the mother's not eating according to her prakruti, so she's out of balance, and then the it will also imbalance the the you know new being yeah. in, within if uh, let's say there's stress between the parents or there's stress in the environment so all of those things can create what we call a vikruti mm-hmm. which is anything after creation and it really implies an imbalance And in Ayurveda, what we're doing always is looking at the imbalance, Mm -hmm. working with the imbalance to start with the elements, to start to bring the imbalance closer and closer towards your original prakruti. Now, does this happen? Yeah, I suppose once in a while you'll, you'll have that event happen when you feel a perfect balance in your system. You feel just almost like you get a flash of enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where you know that you've possibly come close to your prakruti. There may have been beings on the planet, maybe Krishna, maybe Jesus, who knows, who could hold their prakruti. Mm. We don't, we don't know. You Mm -hmm. know, that's, that's kind of the idea there though. The goal. In a sense. Yeah. Yeah. But it's kind of impossible because It's ever changing. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to hold it completely. So some of the things that change would be the seasons. Mm-hmm. And part of what you teach is how to adjust your lifestyle in accordance to and to become more Ill- aligned with what's happening happening in our natural environment. A lot of what I teach is also about trying to align our internal world with the external world and to develop an understanding that they're not really separate, right? 
Um, so I guess maybe using myself as an example, let's say I come in and we fill out that questionnaire and then you determine my property, um, which we have done. And I am a pitta, which is a fire, a vata, which is air, and then uh, kapha is the least amount of my prakriti, which is earth. So I'm very, very fiery with very little earth in my constitution. So what would be some recommendations that you would give to me to help me find more balance in my lifestyle? Okay, so it's... Not it's yes we have your prakriti but it's more about your vikruti, so I I do know you and mm-hmm. I I do know that you have a high vata vikruti mm-hmm. right with a secondary prakriti or secondary pitta in in that imbalance. Okay. So I would look at your where you are out of balance in your vikruti, the vata, and say okay. Holly has a high vata. Vata tends to create things like imbalances, like maybe some anxiety in your life. Maybe it could create in your um, system some dryness. Mm-hmm. It could um, also have a possibility of having, because of the dryness, some digestive disorders, mm-hmm. right? Maybe you see it coming up in your skin. And it depends on the time of the year, too. Because at the time of the year that is most influenced by the, the vata, which is the, the um, combination of space and air, is during winter, mm-hmm. right? Because if you think of the attributes of both space and air, you're going to deal with dryness, you're going to deal with roughness, right? If you turn a fan on full speed, it's going to have kind of a wind to it. So you're going to have this feeling of, of almost an invasion of your privacy as far as your atmosphere quality, mm-hmm. right? And you're going to have, there's also a lightness to it, right? And so a lot of times people who have a prakruti and a vikruti of vata, they tend to be thin and it's hard for them to gain weight and their muscle might be really kind of almost atrophied sometimes depending on how out of balance they are. Um, so in the winter time, you're going to get more of that kind of thing, but there's also times of the day that you get more of that sort of thing. Like in the middle of the period between 2 and 6 in the afternoon and 2 and 6 in, in the morning, there's a high vata. And so it will influence your nervous system. could wake you up and create insomnia. And in the afternoon, it could make you a little nervous or it could put you to sleep even because your nerves just kind of get really just drained. And... Um, so it's those kind of things that we look at and deal with. And the way that we do it in Ayurveda is we go to the opposite um, element. Mm-hmm. So you could think of going, okay, what I would do for Holly is give her a couple of things that will slow her down and give her a little bit of heaviness in her life, right? Mm-hmm. So you could say, I'm giving her some kapha. 
Yes. All right. Earth. Some earth, right. And one of the primary things we do is for vata, we do routines. So especially morning routines. And with those routines, we give you oil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we give you fat. Yes. <laughs> so I wanted to talk a little bit about that because um, it was actually around the winter that we had a session together and I, it was during a time when I was having really high anxiety. I was having trouble sleeping. I was having trouble um, with my skin was dry and itchy and uh, the lymph kind of wasn't flowing in my body and I had addressed these things with my doctor and uh, I kept, it was like a rat kind of spinning around a wheel it was it was always oh maybe you have candida maybe you have this but it wasn't any of those things and I I felt like I was exploring all of these options and I couldn't find the answer and we did a very short session together and uh, within that you gave me a few practices that helped me to really move through symptoms that I've been dealing with for a long time that had become intensified that winter and a lot of it had to do with oiling and oiling the body. Um, and I know that you create in your practice custom herbal body oils. And uh, that practice of herbal body oiling, using oil on my skin, oil in my nose, oil in my ears, oil in my mouth, all the oil, but it calmed my system down so much and it really helped me to move through that intense period. So can you talk a little bit about the using the herbal body oils? Yeah, my favorite one and probably the most helpful one for vatas is something called Abhyanga. It is a self-oiling massage that you give to yourself every morning. Now traditionally it would be, you know, you don't use a whole lot of oil. It's not like you're gobs of oil. You just put oil on your skin and then you step into your shower and you, you know, you don't even have to wash it off Mm -hmm. because it's going to kind of just give you a beautiful moisturizer. But what that does, the oil itself is really helpful for the nerve endings that come to the surface of the skin. Mm -hmm. And it helps to ground you and um, give you a sense of satisfaction a sense of calmness, a sense that everything's okay. Now there is, if you go to an Ayurvedic clinic um, that does uh, massage and so forth, you may find that you can get an Abhyanga massage and there you will get gobs of oil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've done this. It's really beautiful. But the traditional way that they do it is they have two people who do a choreographed, synchronized massage. Wow. So you have, you know, four hands on your body. I've actually had a massage when I was in India at an Ayurvedic um, spa. Three people working at me at one time. Wow. Yeah. It's, for me, personally, total bliss. Mm. Maybe some people might feel invaded depending on their nervous system. But for me, it was really amazing to have that sort of thing done. Yeah. The other thing that I love is something we do called nausea, which is uh, oil, again, medicated oil that we put into the nose. 
and this is a very direct pathway, not only for your sinuses, but for your brain health. Mm. So there's a proven that if you have just a, a, even just one drop, but one to three drops in each nostril, and you hang your head back, and for instance, if you were lying on the bed, you would just hang your head off the bed, let it drain into your not, into your sinuses. Within minutes, it will drain into your brain, it goes through the blood-brain barrier, and it will influence the brain. It's the quickest way to influence the brain. It's a very traditional way of getting brain health. Yeah. So what kind of things would you say that it helps with? Um, focus, clarity, changing maybe old, outdated beliefs, rewiring mm. the brain? How deep do we go here? Oh, you know, that depends on the person, right? But I definitely do one for myself. Every day I do brain health. Mm -hmm. So I put in that the kind of herbs that will support the brain, will support the nervous system. And then in the middle of the day, maybe I'll do one for mind health. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is just to keep my mind so that it stays steady. It doesn't go into patterns that might become um, influenced by... Mm, you know, just moving around too much. And then before I go to bed, maybe I, if I feel like it, I might do one for sleep, for, mm -hmm. you know, like an insomnia one. Interesting. So we oil the body with a body massage. You put oil in the nose for brain health and lubrication of the sinuses, which is great for me, especially during... Um, winter when the heat is on and the sinuses get so dry um and then the last one that I have been recommended is the oil pulling where you put oil in the mouth can you talk a little bit about that mm -hmm. yeah you just need about it a teaspoon to a tablespoon of any kind of oil basically you could use olive oil I personally like to use coconut oil because I have high pitta and coconut oil is cooling but for you, I would say sesame oil. Mm -hmm. And you just take a little bit, you um, swish it around. You could put a, a little bit of flavor to it, like a little touch of a peppermint, you know, essential oil in it or something just to make it yummy. Mm -hmm. And um, you hold it in your mouth for, geez, three minutes, five minutes, swish it around. Sometimes, you know, most of the time I take my shower with it mm -hmm. and then spit it out. Don't spit it into your sink or anything, right? Put it into some a plastic bag or a plastic cup and, you know, throw it out that way. And um, because you're going to ruin your pipes. If yeah. You, okay. And then when you're done with that, you could have a glass of water if you want to. And that's one of the routines. So that would be a way. These, these kind of things are the things that are suggested to do in the morning. We call this kind of morning routine Dinacharya. Dina means day and mm. charya means routine. So you set up these different kinds of morning, afternoon, and evening routines. The reason why these are so effective is because if you do have somebody who has a nervous system that's a little imbalanced like it, and creates an anxiety or a depression or something, you already have a routine that you know is a positive thing in your life, and it's going to allow for the nervous system to 
calm down. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have that inner dialogue going on. You know, you get up in the morning, you oil your skin. The inner dialogue doesn't have to chat. Mm -hmm. You put some oil in your mouth and you swish it around. Again, you don't have to chat to yourself. You don't have to have the voice going on. Maybe while you're oiling yourself, you choose to do your meditation at that time, etc. So these are the kind of things that will really help somebody who has that high anxiety. And there is a list of things I could give you for your dinacharya, but it's very particular to that person. Mm. So maybe the person doesn't want to meditate, right? Maybe they'd rather do vocalization. Or maybe they'd rather listen to somebody doing a mantra. Or maybe they're the kind of person who likes to work in the kitchen. So they would go in the kitchen and start prepping their food for the day. It really depends on the person. And each of these recommendations are tweaked per person. So when you talk about diet and lifestyle and herbs... In Ayurveda, there isn't a set thing. It's always individual. And maybe the person doesn't need so much in the morning, but they need it more at night Mm -hmm. before they go to bed so that they kind of clean themselves of the energy of the day. Interesting. Mm. So it sounds to me like Ayurveda is more of an approach to our daily life to be practiced every single day than something that you do to cure yourself from illness the way that we kind of approach the medical system here in the West. Yeah, it's preventative. Exactly, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, and the other thing about it is that once you do start taking care of yourself, it's fun. (laughs) It's so much fun to do. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, Somebody I know, um, very dear to me, doesn't drink enough water. Mm. Right. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, you know, my cat takes better care of herself than you do. (laughs) She at least goes and and she hydrates herself during Mm. the day. And I don't see you doing that. It's kind of interesting how self-destructive the human being can be Mm. because we can think whereas an an animal who's working from their instincts actually has better self-care than a lot of people I know yeah I also think it's interesting this sense of kind of self-betrayal right what what we do instead and how the mind can keep us from that self-care just because there's so much going on there's so many things to do there's so many things to think about productivity is so enhanced and in our culture that it can be really hard just to stop and and do these simple things like get a glass of water hydrate yourself right and out of habit also we get into these habits of maybe his preference is coffee Mm. right and he's just in the habit of grabbing something that feels like it's going to have some kind of potency to it to it Mm. whereas 
And he complains to me about, oh, you know, I feel a little dizzy. Mm. And I, every time he says it, I say, did you have any water? Mm. Dizziness, you know, dehydration can create dizziness. Absolutely. And, and so, so simple. It's so simple. So actually, one of the ways that I know that somebody's going to be a good practitioner of Ayurveda, a good, a good um, you know, they're going to follow my lead kind mm-hmm. of thing and, and, and allow me to kind of help them with this is if they do hydrate themselves. Wow. That's actually one of the first things that if they come to me and say, I say, okay, how much water do you drink? Oh, maybe a glass a day. I say, okay, let's try two glasses a day. Mm. If they can't do that, then I know they won't be able to follow any of the instructions because that's, like, basic, right? Take another glass of water. Just sip during the day. And one of the ways that you can do this, and this is probably the way that I kind of broke the code for myself, is that you just get a thermos and... Oh, and by the way, you always know an Iyengar, or sorry, an Ayurvedic practitioner when they go into a restaurant because they ask for warm water with with lemon. Mm. So you get you get a thermos, you fill it with like warmish water, not not too hot. Put some lemon in it, and sip that every ten minutes, just a little sip. That is one of the most effective and efficient ways to rehydrate yourself as well as clean out the lymphatic system. And we consider that a cleanse. Yeah, and you can do that all the time, every day. You don't even have to do it for that long. Like within a week or two, you will notice a difference. And by that time, you probably will not be resisting the tendency towards hydration the Mm. way it was to start with. So you could just be drinking regular water. You don't have to think about, oh, it has to be you know, room temperature or, or, you know, but the room temperature water is really recommended as opposed to cold water. Sorry, everybody who likes ice. Ice actually puts the agni out. It puts your fire out and it makes it so that your digestion kind of gets messed up. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. So one part of our session that stuck out to me was the intuitive practice. So you do a long questionnaire, there's lots of science and methodology, but there's also this piece of just an intuitive reading from you. Can you talk a little bit about that Mm -hmm. and how you tap into that intuition, how you get a read from the client that's in front of you, what kind of things come up? All of that. Well, I think, Holly, you know already that, you know, you're kind of born. We're all born with intuition, but some people are born with this kind of intuition that is just part of their nature, Mm -hmm. right? It's, I don't know myself not being intuitive as you are the Mm -hmm. same way. So when, when I take somebody, well, when I look at somebody, I see stuff, Mm -hmm. but when I take somebody's pulse, I'm not only taking the, um, I'm reading the elements in their body and maybe I'm also timing their pulse, you know, like a doctor would. Um, and maybe I'll take their blood pressure, all of that kind of stuff. But sometimes I'll put my fingers on somebody's pulse and I'll read a story. I'll see a story behind it. 
and I'll have to ask if that's okay for me to do that for them, if they're interested in having any feedback intuitively. Mm. If they're not, then I don't go any further. Mm. You know, I'll take my fingers off the pulse, start over again, and just resist the intuition and go right into the science part of it, which is reading the elements. Mm-hmm. And um, how I do that, I have no idea. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know how it happens. Sometimes it feels like I just fall into it. You know, have yeah. you ever had that experience? It's mm-hmm. kind of like, <gasps> you can't mm-hmm. stop yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you give us um, an anonymous example of a story that you may have well, heard? Well, actually, I can talk about Dr. Ladd. Okay, Because perfect. he's really good at this. He's probably the master pulse reader in the Western world. Not that, you know, there's tons of them in India and probably in China as well, because Chinese medicine also uses pulse. But I remember this story of Dr. Ladd taking somebody's pulse... And it might have been in a class because, you know, whoever was in the class told me this, I think. And he started to read it and he said, do you by any chance take your dishwater and throw it on a tree in your backyard every day? And the guy said, yeah. And he said, stop doing that. Your tree doesn't like it. (laughs) It's like, okay. So that's, you know, it's that kind of thing. It's just kind of like, where did you get that from? Mm -hmm. But there it was. Interesting. Yeah, because your body holds all of these things. Your cell holds. We are all memory. That's what we are. Mm. And it is the particular memories that that are showing themselves that we see. Right? I mean, I see you right in front of me. You're Holly. But it's all your memory that is making you up. Mm. Right? Yes. Yeah. And they say that, um, who are they? I don't know. Who are they? I've heard. <laughs> I've heard that our cells really hold on to every experience that we have. So it lives not just in our mind, but also in our body. And mm-hmm presents if not processed as tension or dis-ease or illness right or yeah deep illness I mean you can you can take somebody who can really exaggerate a very simple situation like I don't know having a relationship with their mother that wasn't the most positive and turn it into mental illness right yeah Or somebody else could take that same situation and see it as, wow, you know, okay, that wasn't the best childhood, but I'm a stronger person because of it, and I can help other people because of it. So it depends then on self-care. It depends on how the elements are playing out. It depends on your prakriti, on your vikriti. It depends on all of these things and it depends on your choice so choice is also considered a feature or factor of self-care fascinating and what do you mean by choice the choices we make in our everyday life of how to care for ourselves correct Mm. yes so you have a choice to eat the 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 good food right the healthy whole food or the junk food Mm. if you 
continue to eat the junk food, it's going to make a junk brain. <laughs> That's it. You know, <laughs> there we have it. And you're going to have junk thoughts. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I can talk about this all day. Um, but for the listeners, um, tell us a little bit about your practice here in Nashville, uh, where we can find you, what kind of work you do, and uh, how people can work with you. Well, you can find me <clears throat> at um, www.i-ayurveda, that's spelt A-Y-U-R-V-E-D-A dot com. And what I do is I, I see people, if you're local, I prefer it because I really like to be able to touch people and mm-hmm. see them and speak to them and communicate with them. So I would see you, you would come to my place or I would meet you someplace at your, and I would do a dosha quiz and find out your prakruti and your vikruti. And then from that point on, we would start to figure out what is it that is going to be most beneficial for you. After we work on the lifestyle and the diet feature, then I would bring in herbs. And I do that as a third uh, section because if, again, if your body isn't that clean and you're not that organized in your life as far as keeping, you know, some of the routines going, just giving you herbs is just covering. It's a Band-Aid. It's not really going to get very deep into your system, right? You have to really have already started some Mm. other things first. Yeah, like even taking a an aspirin to alleviate a headache. It's like, we want to know why the headache why is Why do you there. have that root problem? Yeah. yeah. But I do see people overseas. I see a lot of people down in the Caribbean, up in New York City. So I Skype. I You know, I do WhatsApp or Skype or whatever, you know, or, or whatever way that I can see people. And, um, and just keep working with people that way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> and tell us also about your yoga you teach here in Nashville? I do. I teach at the Iyengar Institute, yeah, which is on 12th South right now. It's moving over to Chestnut Hill in another month and a half, which I'm really excited about. I'm awesome. really looking forward to this new studio. And I teach at Boost Fit Club, too. Okay. And those are weekly classes that um, you can attend. What days do you teach on? Um, um, I teach Tuesday. Do I have to go through the whole thing? <laughs> no, Tuesday, just Wednesday, is it on your Thursday, website? Friday, Saturday, Sunday. <laughs> so, are your classes on your website as well? Yes. Okay. Um, and I do a lot of workshops. Workshops. So yeah, I travel and do workshops. I go down to the Caribbean and do workshops. I go up to New York. I go to you know different places, and I'll do um, present either Ayurveda or a combination of Ayurveda in yoga or yoga. So it depends on what what it is that you know. I like to be creative. That's okay. one of the best things about having this kind of job. It's that level of creativity, right? I mean, it's great, isn't it, Holly? Absolutely. So <laughs> also, do you, <laughs> that I want to do for the listeners. Um, do you do private lessons as well for yoga? Yeah, yeah. I do. Okay. I love privates, you okay. guys. <laughs> I love privates. As a matter of fact, my feeling about 
yoga is, you know, it was Mr. Angar's, it's actually his teacher, but it's actually his, his brother-in-law. His name is Krishnamacharya. He's actually the guy who, his prana is the reason why we have yoga in the world at this point. He was, he was the guru of Mr. Iyengar, of Desika Char, who's his son, and who started Vini Yoga, and of Patabi Joyce, Ashtanga Yoga. Mm-hmm. And so you can really think that it's Krishnamacharya's prana, mm-hmm. his, his karma that spread yoga across the planet. So, um, <laughs> private lessons. Private lessons. Before Krishnamacharya, it was always private. Yes, yoga one was on always one with your teacher. One on one, and he was the one who first started doing uh, classes. Absolutely. Yeah. So, private lessons are definitely the way to go, and you customize the practice for that person yeah. because you know so much, mm-hmm. and you can just look at them and see their dosha, so you know. The po- or their prakriti, mm-hmm. or their vikriti, mm-hmm. um, and you can understand the physical movements that would be best for them as mm-hmm. well. So, and yeah, I just love therapeutic yoga too. Mm. So I that's injury management, mm-hmm. working with illness, yes. all of that. All of that kind of stuff, yeah. So if, like I mentioned earlier, Mr. Iyengar was just the master of therapeutic yoga. So everybody who's trained in Iyengar yoga is trained we don't call it yoga therapy. We just call it yoga. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there's no way to separate the two. It is therapeutic yes, in itself. It is Or can be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Jean Marie, for sitting with me today and bringing your wisdom to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Holly. And also for you listeners out there interested in working with Jean Marie, definitely check out her website. I'm going to link it down in the show notes and stay tuned because we will be teaming up to present a workshop on Ayurveda and some of the principles soon, right? Jean Marie, sometime this year within the next three to four months. Look out for a workshop and uh, yeah, go check her out. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, everybody, welcome to the second portion of the show. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jean Marie And I did really enjoy switching it up for you guys this Virgo season. And it is really in Virgo fashion to talk about Ayurveda and things that bring us a more healthy and clear physical body. So let me know what you guys think. If you like the interview format or if you'd like to continue with asking the questions and doing mini readings, um, on my website, there is a podcast page with a little form that you fill out and in there you can ask a question and ask me any question you want. You can ask me a specific question that I can answer through the lens of the tarot, or you can ask me something more general about what I do. Okay, you guys, so stay connected with me 
And of course, if you haven't already, please support the podcast. If you enjoy listening, uh, give me a five-star rating, share it, review it, post it on your socials, send it out to your friends, whatever works for you. You can also support through Anchor and uh, yeah, couple announcements before we dive in. I am offering a few events this month. I am offering a fall equinox workshop at Kali Yuga Yoga. So if you're in Nashville, that is going to be on the equinox. I believe that's Sunday, September 22nd from two to four. It's going to be a two hour restorative workshop. I'm going to offer Reiki. We're going to do breath work, meditation. We're going to take a really deep dive into aligning with the change of seasons. We're going to talk about the Vata energy, right? So if you just listen to the um, interview with Jean Marie, you heard us talk about Vata season. So Vata is the air element. And we're going to talk about how to balance that and how to align with the season when we are moving into this element and the effects that it has on the body and how we counteract those effects, right? So that is on September 22nd, and then I will be celebrating the new moon in Libra, which I have a new moon ceremony every single month, and that is also on a Saturday the following week, and uh, you can find all the info on those and the place to sign up, RSVP on my website, and uh Yeah, I have a new offering that I'm creating now, which is a full tarot course. So this is going to be an online course of pre-recorded videos. I'm going to launch it around the new moon in Libra, and it is going to be a comprehensive deep dive, but you can do it at your own pace or you could do it in the weekly format. It's totally up to you. You're going to have the opportunity to ask me questions. We'll have a few live videos so you can work with me one-on-one to get feedback. And this is something that you can do kind of in the eight-week format, or you can take it at your own pace and go uh, a little faster and you'll have it forever. Okay, you guys, so keep an eye out for that. I'm having a lot of fun developing this content for you. It is something that I have been working on in the past few years and just taking information that I've taught in my in-person workshops and then putting it all into a new format for you all um, so that it's more than just um, a one-time workshop. It's information that you can have and go back to over and over again throughout your tarot practice. Um, I did something similar in my personal practice and um, I go back to that all of the time and uh, it's really, really useful. So I hope that it will be useful for you guys as well. Stay tuned for that. And 
I do have one spot left in my mentorship program. I'm just going to fill one more spot and then I'm going to take a break for a while to focus on this online course that I'm creating and a few other projects that I have in the works. So my one-on-one mentorship is a 10 to 12 week program of working with me one-on-one And it's a customized format. So we really just look at all of the offerings that I have and you pick and we can, I can help you pick depending on a session that we do together. We start with a chakra healing session. We use the cards, we do Reiki, we look at where you are on a physical level, on an emotional level, on a mental level, on a spiritual level. And we decide what to dive into to give you the most growth. Okay. And so this is a program where you might focus on tarot. We're going to dive into Reiki. Um, You might be more interested in the moon ceremonies or spell work or taking a look at yoga and yogic techniques. So it's all there for you. There's an application on my website. If you're interested in that, I'm only going to fill one more spot and If you're really ready to up level, I'd love to have you. So come on through, you guys. Let's dive into the forecast now. Thanks for listening to those announcements. So I'm going to be honest. When I first looked at these cards, my first instinct was to reshuffle and pull again. (laughs) But you guys, you know, if you have cards, you know we can't do that, right? Mm Mm-mm. Sometimes our medicine is a tough pill to swallow. And this one was like a little bit of a horse pill for me, but say lovey. And the reason being is that the first two cards I pulled are the Knight of Swords reversed and the Queen of Wands reversed. Now, upright, I love these energies. This is right, this is exactly what I will get down with, right? Quick, fast, forward movement with the Son of Swords. And Queen of Wands is just my bitch. She is my jam. She is the Queen of Fire. She has this perfect marriage of the second chakra and the heart chakra. She's really a bad bitch. But all that fire energy, when it comes up in a reversal, it's it's not all that. It can be manipulative. It can be controlling. It can be extremely impatient. And the exact same thing with the Son of Swords or the Knight of Swords reversed. In his upright position, he moves forward with precision, with clarity, with focus, determination. In his reversal, he is reckless. He is not looking in his blind spot before he switches lanes. He is unfocused and he is also extremely impatient, right? So both of these energies really like to manifest and drive forward with the quickness. And in between them, I'm pulling the king or the father of pentacles upright. And he is asking us for patience He is asking us to move forward slow and steady. He is asking us to find beauty in the mundane. And he is asking us to make sure that what we're building has a really strong foundation 
that can hold us for years and years to come. So he wants us to be concerned not just with immediate results. He wants us to be concerned with our vision for the future and to make sure that the choices that we're making today in each day support that vision. Okay? So this is not about a fast and furious kind of instant gratification. This is about the work that we do in the long haul. So, you know, I'm an Aries. It's not super fun. I like to move fast. I like that instant gratification. But honestly, the king of pentacles is the big daddy of the tarot. He is the CEO of the company. He's rich. And it's because he works with slow, steady, trustworthy, loyal, dedicated, patient (laughs) earth energy, right? So I think that it being Virgo season, right? We're in that earth element. It's asking us to really look at the things that bring us structure, stability, what makes us feel safe, what makes us feel grounded, what makes us feel at home in our bodies and to cultivate more of that. Okay. Now the last card that I pulled as the result of all of this work is the ace of swords reversed. So there is a new idea coming through. There is a new perspective, a new way of thinking about things, but it's reversed. So we have to do a little work to get there. And through that, I'm pulling the four of swords, which is all about resting the mind, stepping out of the kind of loop of ego, worry, and anxiety, and trusting All right, you guys, so the work of this full moon in Pisces, right? Pisces is the sign opposing Virgo. The work of this full moon is going to be best done with our patience and our daily practices. You're not going to think your way through this one. You're not. And you're not going to produce your way through this one with action, okay? Or rapid action anyway. You're going to really have to take a step back. And with the Four of Swords, it's like, to me, it feels almost like the hermit. Like we want to go inward and observe. We want to step away from the monkey mind and give it a rest. It's time to take a look at those thought patterns that aren't serving you and let them go. When we learn to observe, then we learn to step back and be like, hmm, where is this taking me? How do I feel? How are these thoughts making me feel? And if it's not good, then we've got to shut them down. We have the power to shut them down and to rewire the brain and retrain ourselves to think in a different way. It takes a lot of introspection and it takes a lot of practice, right? And that's where the King of Pentacles and then the the last 
tarot card I pulled is the eight of pentacles, which is just really strengthening that, that work of the king. Eight of pentacles is the card of moving from apprentice into master by showing up and doing the damn thing every single day. But it's also about taking a look around and seeing what we have and how far we've come. So we can't forget, right, to stop and see where we are and the beauty that we've created. And I love the imagery um, that is on this deck, The Way Home Tarot by Bakara um, Whitner. It is a bee, right? The queen bee of the beehive. And inside the beehive, there's this magic. There's this kind of explosion of stars in the universe. And, and that really is where we are. And we've had a long summer. <clears throat> we've done a lot of work through eclipse season, right? Shaking loose and eclipsing out the patterns and the ideas that aren't working. And now it's time, right? Like we did in Leo, we're continuing to integrate these lessons and we will for the next few years. But let's take a look at everything that's changed and let's see if there's any debris left that we need to shake off. And the last card I pulled is from the liminal space and it's an oracle deck. And it's uh, the name of the card is Day by Day. The best stories produce better stories, day by day, slow and steady, chop wood, carry water, right? So day by day, this is a time for patience and the best stories produce better stories, right? So we're letting go with the four of swords of that anxiety of the worry of the old outdated beliefs and we're opening up into the new ones into the ace of swords the best stories produce better stories the best stories looking back on the stories of our ancestors it's so easy to look at the stories that we need to change right but we can also with the eight of pentacles look at the stories that we don't need to change because part of your story is what makes you, you. And so, you know, the full moon is all about release. And when we're releasing, it's sometimes easy to step into this attitude of like, I've got to let this shit go. It's toxic. It's disgusting over it. What the fuck is wrong with me? Right. And that's not really the way that we want to release. We want to release with gratitude and love for the stories that made you, you, because they are a part of you and you wouldn't be you without those stories. And you are perfect in each moment, exactly where, where you are and how you're meant to be. And even the things that we are letting go of are maybe ideas that we're outgrowing, but they helped you to survive at one point. They were developed by the very intelligent system of your mind and body to get you through something where you may not ha have had really good tools to get through it. And you just keep learning and growing and adding more tools to your toolbox, and then you can shed, 
right? Like the snake shedding its skin. Then you can shed that skin and continue with a new one. And eventually you'll rub that one off too, because it's a cycle and we're just in the wheel, life, death, and rebirth of these lessons. So day by day, the best stories produce better stories. We're ready to up-level these stories, but do it with so much gratitude for the ones that came before you. Thank your parents and the ways that they fucked you up because they were just doing their best with the stories they had. Thank your ancestors. Thank all the people. Thank the shitty job and the shitty friendships and the shitty relationships because they all taught you something and they all got you here to where you are now. Okay, you guys? So (laughs) there is the medicine for this full moon in Pisces. I think I said full moon in Virgo earlier, but the full moon is in Pisces. The full moon is always in the sign that is opposite the sun sign that we're in. So we're in Virgo season. So the new moon is in Virgo and then the full moon is in Pisces. Okay. And like I said, or I say every month, right? For the new moon, we focus on the intentions and manifestation. And then for the full moon, we focus on release and letting go. And then the moon continues to wane back down to new. So this reading is for the full moon in Pisces and the weeks that follow is where this, you know, it doesn't all happen in one day, you guys, right? It's a cycle. So this reading, reading will cover this full moon energy that will continue to play out over the next few weeks, okay? So let me know how you guys are doing. I have some links down in the show notes for you, so check those out. Again, please share the podcast in any way or support the podcast in any way that makes sense for you. I thank you guys so much for listening, and I will connect with you again for the new moon in Libra. Take care.